Okay, praise the Lord. It's good. It's good. I tell you what, never fails, man, when you just tap into the presence of God, man. He never fails you. Praise God. I got this, I envisioned this. I mean, I was taken up into this like a vision in my mind while we were worshiping. And it was like, I seen this hall and it was like as far as you could go to the left and as far as you could go to the right. And in that hall was just this sound. Every genre of music that ever existed was playing in that room in worship to God. And every, every, every song that is ever sung in worship to God was in that room. Every, every dance that ever has been danced before God was in that room. And it was on a loop. It was on a continuous loop. And it's constantly playing in that, in that room. And, it, and, and your voice was being added to it. And your worship that you worshipped like last year and the very first time you ever worshipped was in that loop and it was playing. And it was constantly going on in this room. And it was filled with this. Could you imagine the noise that was in that room? If that would, I mean, obviously, but it wasn't noise. It was worship. It was like an eternal loop that was playing. And it was like we were a part of that. And then, then the Lord said this to me. He said, you know, Tony, he said, the air is never cleaner than when you're in worship. The air that you breathe is never cleaner than when you're in worship with God. So if you need a fresh, clean breath of air, just start worshiping God. Whoa. Come on. Come on. So now, after we had that nice, clean, fresh breath of air, we get to drink from the fountain. The water is never cleaner after drinking when you've breathed in the fresh air. In other words, when you're in worship, what he's depositing in you is fresh, clean water for you. And you need to drink it in. You need to drink it in. And so, um, Drew was, had just finished up um, a session uh, uh, um, shouldn't say a session. He had finished up a, a um, series on um, Speak Life, the power of the declaration last week. And I'm going to use that as a segue into today. Um, it's called Speak Life. There's something powerful when you declare logos, which is the written word of God, Okay, whether it's written out of the scriptures or it was a revelation from the past and you wrote it down and you're reading it and some, for some reason you're prompted to declare that again. The Logos, that eventually brings inspiration and personal revelation, which we understand as rhema. So there's something about when you start out with Logos that as you declare it and you allow it to to roll over like that endless loop, roll over into your heart over and over again, suddenly it becomes revelatory and inspirational to you for your time that you're in. And it's not a coincidence that, coincidence that what may be being deposited or that declaration that you feel so impressed to be declaring at that moment would be the very thing that you need inspiration and revelation about for where you're at at that moment. See, that's different for everybody in this room. That's why, you know, for everyone to declare the same thing, you may not get the same life out of it as somebody else, but you'll get something from it. I mean, God, you know, God is just, you know, God is not like one track and one drawer, man. He doesn't work with one drawer out and one track at a time. God's got like, you know, an eternity of tracks running at the same time. And he's got all the drawers out. He's got them all out. And he's operating in them all. 
And so for our foundational scripture, I want to take us to Proverbs, um, or, or the foundational, I should say the foundational scripture for that particular series was in Proverbs chapter 18. And um, verse 20, <clears throat> a man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. Your belly is full by what comes out of your mouth. Your belly is full by what comes out of your mouth. My belly is full by what comes out of my mouth. That doesn't mean it's full and I regurgitate it or I throw up. No, my body, my belly is full by what comes out of my mouth. I get satisfaction out of the things that I speak. Belly's full. Everybody, everybody likes to eat until they're full, right? There's a satisfaction that comes from having a full belly, right? In the natural. Spiritually speaking, your belly gets full spiritually. What comes out of our mouth, okay? And with the increase of the lips shall he be filled, okay? And what Solomon is speaking here is the, the importance of the things that we say. Now, I don't want to get us on this. And there was a time in the church where we got on this correcting every single word that came out of our mouth. I'm not going to go down that road, okay? But the road I want to go down is the understanding that it's very important that we align our mouth with the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And we have to speak out of that, that relationship, okay? And <clears throat> he goes on to say then in verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You're going to eat the fruit of life or death by the things that come out of your mouth. That's what Solomon's saying. And so, in the power of the declaration, we are encouraged to speak what? Words of? Words of life. So we're going to speak those words of life. And we're going to, obviously, as we speak the words of life, we're feeding the belly of our spirit and we're filling it to a fullness, to getting full. And, and so that's why we encourage the body of Christ to declare things, to declare things, whether things are going great in your life or if they're not going so great, declare what God has said. It, constantly through the Bible, from the beginning to the end, it just talks about speaking the things of God, rehearsing them before yourself, okay? Deuteronomy 30, let's go there real quick. Deuteronomy 30. Verse 10 through 19. And if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and the statutes which are written in this book of the law, and if thou turn unto the Lord God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, <clears throat> for this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it afar off. Okay, in other words, what I'm telling you is not hidden. It's not far away. You don't have to go searching for it. You don't have to go on a long journey to get it. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who will go up to the heaven and bring it down to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither it is beyond the sea that you have to get in the ship and go search for it. For who shall go over to the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good, death and evil. And in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes 
uh, <clears throat> that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Let's jump down here to verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this against you or to notice what I'm telling you right now. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. We're always encouraged to choose life. God is always, listen, read my lips. God is always planning for your good. Always. Always planning for your good. He's never planning to curse you or to destroy you. Okay? Anybody that tells you that has not read their Bible fully under the unction of the Holy Spirit. They've read a bunch of letters, okay? And words put together, and they come to a conclusion. But if they have the heart for God, he's always planning for our good success. So when he says, I lay before you life and death, he's wanting us to choose life that you and your seed may live, right? Because he knows if you choose anything other than life, you only got one other alternative. That's death. There's no in between. And we try to make the best of everything that we do, but the bottom line is this. If it's not life-giving, it's something else. It's absolutely something else. And God is always looking to point us in a life direction. Always. He's never leading us down a road and says, okay, turn this way, and bam, you're walking down death now. If you're walking down this road and you hook a left down death row, you did it on your own, not because he's leading you there. And it may have something to do with how you were talking. Wow. Okay? Just may have something to do with it. All right. Moses, when he uttered this, was wrapping things up. He knew his days were ended. He was passing the baton unto Joshua. And he was charging Israel. And he, he was saying some real strong stuff there, wasn't he? It was, it's real strong stuff. It's not that he gave him a buffet of things to choose from. Come to the buffet. You know, you can get a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this. No, you got two choices, life and death, blessing or cursing. What are you going to choose? I'm going to tell you how to stay on life's road, and I'm going to tell you what will happen if you get on death's road. And that's all previous to all this. He goes into that. But he, he wanted to ensure that the, the, the people of Israel knew that the word of the Lord was nigh them, even in their heart. It was not afar off. It was not distance. It wasn't in heaven somewhere. And it's the same for us today. The words of life that Jesus has left us with is not a far distance off. It's not a way. It's not something that we've got to search around the world for. It's even nigh us. It's even in our heart, and it's in our mouth. Because life is in our mouth. Because we're not even going to talk. From this point on, we're not going to talk about death. We're going to talk about life. Because everybody in this room has experienced what talking about death has done in their life. How many hasn't? How many in this room hasn't? All right, so there's nobody in here. Everybody in this room, including myself, I didn't see me raising my hand. All right, we've all experienced what death, talking death will do. So we don't have to talk about that. I don't have to talk about all the troubles that we have and with all the heartaches. And the, How many in this room, how many in this room never experienced a disappointment? How many? Not one hand went up. You know that little baby that was sitting there? He's, he's only six months old. But I guarantee you this, he's probably experienced more disappointment than you can believe. Every time he cried and didn't get fed, he was disappointed. Right? I had a friend from the first church I was pastoring in, a good friend of mine. He would always come up to me whenever something happened. He had, you know, a run-in with somebody or that kind of went, went sour or whatever. He says, you know, Tony, people will always disappoint you. People will always disappoint you. How many in this room, how many in this room, 
honestly, you could be honest with me here. How many in this room have I ever disappointed? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, I got only two of you? There's only two of them. And I got another one right here. I mean, you could be honest with me because I know I have. If you, if you hang around me long enough, I'll disappoint you. And guess what? If I hang around you long enough, I'm gonna, you're going to disappoint me. But that's not what life's about. I'm not keeping score. Hopefully you're not. God sure isn't keeping score. He's not keeping score. So, so why are we going to sit here and talk about disappointment? We all know what disappointment is, right? We all know what death is. We all know what disappointment is. So we're not going to talk about that. I want to talk about how to live above that and free from that, free from, I'm never going to eliminate totally disappointment out of my life because it's going to happen. But is it going to frame the world that I'm going to live out of? Am I going to walk in that? Is that what I'm going to partner with? That's what I want to talk about today. Because that's the destructive part of it. Because that's what releases the death out of our life. Out of our mouth, rather. Okay? So, let's go there. Disappointment, I, we already talked about it. I, I describe disappointment like this. <clears throat> Hang on. The ideal is way up here. Where we live is way down here. That chasm is called disappointment. The higher the fall, the harder it is and the tougher it gets. What we got to learn to do, close the gap. Close the gap. Who lives at the ideal all the time? No hands went up. Okay? Not everybody's living every day of their life at the ideal. You know, God said this. Yeah, he did. But he also said that life is going to happen. And he's looking to see how you're going to respond to it. Because he's, he's always there. The Bible tells me he's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Ever-present. You believe that, you see. The thing of it is, is we have to go after the hope. The hope is what closes that chasm up, man. You, you close that chasm up with hope. Whenever there is a gap between the ideal and the real, there is always the opportunity to be disappointed. All right, let's see what Solomon had to say about this. Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, verse 12. We probably all know this. <clears throat> We've been around any long time. It's probably scripture we, we've <clears throat> memorized. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, it it's, is as a tree of life. Hope. We've understood hope to be the confident expectation of the good that's coming. Hope is the confident expectation that good is coming. Hope is the confident expectation that good's coming. If I have hope, I am expectant and I am confident. I am expectant and I am confident of what? The good that's coming into my life. If I have hope. If I don't have hope, I am not confident, I am not expectant, and I don't believe good is coming into my life. But if I have hope, I'm confident, I'm expectant, and I'm I know that good is coming. 
It may not feel like it right now. Let's take a visit to the book of Acts. Paul's in the ship on his way to Rome. He's a prisoner in the ship. <clears throat> the scripture says somewhere in here, you know, if you know the, the story, it was one of them perfect storms. It was a perfect storm they were in. Perfect. If you like storms, it was perfect. And the, and the, and the boat was just being blasted. I mean, literally blasted. They had to take ropes and somehow get the ropes underneath the boat and tie it together just to keep it together from just bust, being busted to pieces. It says, when there was neither sun nor moon, but only rain and wind, all hope that, th that they would be saved was lost. There wasn't an ounce of hope in that ship. Paul gets up. You know, I don't really, I'm not going to disagree with this. But he gets up and the first thing he says is, I told you so. That's what he did. He did. He said, I told you so. So many words. I told you this was going to happen. I told you that if you left here, we weren't going to make it. that the ship was going to be lost. He, he warned them not to leave the port where they were at, but they wanted to get out of there because the place wasn't, you know, you know it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't Florida in the middle of the winter. It just, it wasn't commodious to being a place to winter in. That's what the Scripture says. You know, commodious is the word. Somebody look that up and tell me what that means. But it wasn't a pleasant place to be in the winter. But Paul said, don't leave. So he gets up and he tells him, I told you so. But interestingly, he says, you know, last night I had a conversation with the angel. He says, we're going to lose everything, but not one person's going to lose their life. You know what he said after that? Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. So what did he do? He started reinstilling hope back on that ship. He had to reinstill hope. You see, even after Paul told them that he had an encounter with the angel, that I told you we shouldn't have left, it happened how I told you it was going to happen, but I had an encounter with the angel, he said, we're going to lose everything but we're going to save everybody's life. And yeah, one thing, you can't leave the ship. Nobody can leave the ship. Now, folks, listen to me. The storm gets worse. It doesn't get any better from that point on. It gets worse. They're offloading everything they can offload just so they can keep the ship together. They're, anything that weighs anything, they're throwing it overboard. He says, well, before you get rid of all the food... Why don't we have a meal together? And it doesn't tell us, but I have to believe that Paul brought him in to a place of having communion together, to bringing unity together, getting them all together, locked on to the hope that none of us is going to get lost as the ship is just getting battered to pieces by the wind and the waves. This is the midst of all this. This is why Jesus could sleep. And he gets up and goes, gets up and gets off from the bottom of the boat, and tell, looks around and says, what's all the noise about, guys? What's all the commotion about up here? Yeah, because he was full of hope. We're, we're going to the other, we're going to the other side. I switched stories on you. We're going to the other side. You know, when Jesus says you're going to the other side, where are you going? Who was that? Who did that? Huh? Ed, Ed Dell. I'm holding Ed Dell on you. Okay. All right. Anyway. <laughs> uh, where was I? Okay. So they're in the ship. Nobody can leave. 
So what happens, and you know, I don't know chronologically how this all, all went down, because I'm trying to get you out of my memory here. But, but there's a couple guys. <laughs> They're throwing the lifeboat over the side and making it pretend like it's an anchor. Oh, we're just anchoring her down, man. We don't want, you know, we're just going to anchor down the boat. No, they were throwing a lifeboat. And, and Paul looks at him and goes, no, 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 no. Captain, you better tell them guys not to get out of this boat. And you know what the captain did? Cut that baby loose. We're going to listen to this guy. We're going to listen to him now. What do we got to lose? He might have said, what do we got to lose? We're all going to die anyway. But he said he's going to do it. You see, you have to reinstill hope. Hope has to be restored. Because it goes on here in Proverbs, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, hope that is dragged on. It doesn't necessarily mean hope that's not accomplished. It means hope that is dragged on, deferred, prolonged, scattered, or postponed. Man, you know, I got this word from the Lord that such and such and such. And man, and then you start questioning whether that was God. Because, you know, it didn't happen in the next 30 hours or in the next 15 minutes. I, you know, I've, I've been at this, I've, I've walked this, and I don't say it to boast, but I've walked this, and I've watched people walk out of the call of God because they got anxious and antsy, and they allowed themselves to go down that road instead of stay on this road of life. And just be patient. There's no other way to, to gain patience in your life than being patient being put into situations that forces you to be patient. Right? There ain't no other way. Guess what, folks? You can tell me how strong you are. I can tell you how strong I am. But let's put it to the test. I could sit here and tell you I could lift and bench and I could squat all kinds of weight. But you ain't going to believe it until you what? See me do it. And guess what? We all declare that we have faith, but that faith is going to get tried. And they temper steel by trying it, man. They try it. They fire it, and they cool it down, and then they fire it some more. Man, how would you? And that's the process we go through. But the end result is always our good, and it's always good success. Because that's God's behind it, and he's in it all. He may not necessarily be the author of it, but he will take. And I teach a message about the, the perfect and the acceptable will of God. Throw that right out the window. But you, you, you're down here, and now this becomes the will that you're walking in. But he will take this road that you left it on, and he'll do everything to get you to make a right. But every time you take a turn, he's there with you, and that becomes the will that he operates out of. Because you control it, not him. God's in control of my life. He's only in control as much as you allow him to be. Because you have a will. You and I have a will. You can be hope-filled or you can be hopeless. You choose. I choose that. Because there's no such thing as a hopeless situation. Only hopeless people. Paul echoes it in, in, in the book of Thessalonians. He talks about a people who have lost all hope. Have you ever been, you don't have to raise your hand unless you want to be vulnerable and honest, have you ever been or known people to be completely hopeless? Completely hopeless. Has there been times in your life where you felt hopeless, totally hopeless? I mean, some of the horrible things that happen to people. And, you, and it just, to me, these are real heroes. These are everyday heroes that I look at and just marvel. And I, I just, 
It just causes me to be so humbled because I'm in their presence and they are demonstrating such faith and such perseverance and, and such steadfastness and such faithfulness in the midst of everything. I still can remember vividly as a young 17-year-old leading a coffee house and this young girl coming into the coffee house and she had this turban on her head and she was battling brain cancer. But she, whenever worship was playing, she was right there in front worshiping. Whenever prayer was being prayed, she was right there in the midst of it praying. That young girl just went on passed on from this life into her next life. But I'll still remember that. And it still left an impression on my life of how, just, just how committed they were to Jesus Christ no matter what was going on in their life. No matter what. I always talk about the, I'll bring up the, the Dave Reaver testimony a lot when I talk about this. Anybody not know who Dave Reaver is? You don't know who Dave Reaver is? Dave Reaver. He's a guy, he was in Vietnam. He was a river rat. They call him a river rat, and he was on patrol. And long story short, their, their riverboat gets hit at, by, by a, a firefight. Now they're in the midst of this crazy firefight, and they're, the boat is sinking. He's got a phosphorus grenade in his hand. He's getting ready to throw it, and it and a bullet, a stray bullet, it wasn't a stray bullet because bullets are flying everywhere, but a bullet hits the phosphorus grenade and it explodes in his hand. He's got this phosphorus, and phosphorus isn't put out, you take a little water and you pour on it. Phosphorus has to burn out. It's not put out with water. So this guy's he's on fire. And not only on that, he falls off the boat, now he's underneath the boat, and it's sinking on top of him. Up comes his hand. I still believe in you, Jesus, up out of the water. Miraculously, he comes out of the water. He's got no ear, no hearing. His face is all deformed. He's got hands, no fingers on his, some of his hands. He might only have like a couple fingers. He's got one hand's got full, but on the other hand, he's got two. He's got this finger and five on the other. He's got his thumb and his baby finger and these five. He's in the, the hospital. He miraculously gets out of all that. He's in the hospital now, and he's sitting next to him. He's in the burn ward because he's drastically burned. He's laying next to a guy that is similarly, he's, he's burned. His wife comes in, takes one look at him, pulls her ring off, lays it on the chest, on the chest of the man that's sitting next to him. He, she says, I can't deal with this, and walks out. That man died. His wife comes in. He doesn't know what to expect. He might be expecting the same thing. But his wife walks in. So many words says, I'm committed to you. This is forever. He lives. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. People die because they're hopeless. All they need is a little hope to keep living. All people that are on the verge of suicide need is a hope and a reason to live. And you and I can give it to them. The miracle doesn't stop there. This guy, he can hear out of the hole in his ear. He does not have the physical organs in his, in his body to hear with, but he hears out of that hole. They just put a fake ear on there so it doesn't freak people out. He can hear out of it. This guy learned how to play. I heard him play the piano with five fingers, a thumb, and a finger. He plays the piano. I mean, he plays the piano. I mean, it's just, we don't know what hope leads. Well, hope is the, the concrete that faith if you don't have faith, you can't have, if you don't have hope, you can't have faith. You just can't have it. It's impossible because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's like trying to bake a cake without flour. You can't have a cake without flour, right? Or something that you're going to call the cake substance, the body to the cake. You just can't have it. Well, you could try to bake it, and I don't know what it tastes like. But anyway can't have cake without, with, without it. 
The heart is the seat of your mind, the will, thinking, memory, conscience, and emotions. It makes the heart sick to make one weak, sick, grieved, wounded, disappointed, and offended. The desire is the thing longed for. When the, when the desire comes, the thing longed for comes, it's like revival and renewal. It's life-giving and flowing with life. And so the tension begins. We have dreams, we have desires, and we lay them before the Lord, and we walk them out at the beginning with a strong base of hope, and we launch our faith on that. And as we go, the sun stops shining, and the moon stops appearing. The cloud seems to just be there, and no sight of my desire is in sight at all. As a matter of fact, it looks quite the contrary. And I keep walking, and I keep walking, and the wind is blowing and it beats vehemently against me because he that hears the word and does it is like one who's got his house seated in a rock so that when the wind beats vehemently against it, that's why we have to continually build a strong, strong foundation in our life of his word, his will, his nature, primarily his nature. Our identity, that's why we spend a lot of time on identity, knowing who you are and whose you are and who he is and what, what he has, all that he has done for us. And, and that's what keeps us hope-filled in the midst of all that life that's going on, the, sometimes the chaos that's going on. The good news is that we can change disappointment to his appointment by just removing one letter. You exchange the D for the H. Disappointment becomes his appointment. Phil Keggy wrote a song about it back in the 70s. Disappointment becomes his appointment. The D, which stands for disappointment, despair, and death, for the H, which is hope. Disappointment becomes his appointment when we have hope. Disappointment becomes his appointment when I have hope. Why hope? Because hope deferred brings disappointment. I want you to get full of hope so that the, di the desire can come. You know, many of us, I should say just about everybody in this room has been <coughs> a Naaman at one point or a time in their life. Well, what do you mean, Naaman? Well, remember the story of Naaman, the leper? And his servant told him, hey, I got a guy who can heal you. Go see him. Knock, knock, knock. I heard you can heal me. Yeah, go in the Jordan and dip. Have a good day. Shuts the door on him. Go, oh, knock, knock, knock. Yeah, I heard you can heal me. Yeah. Go on the River Jordan and dip seven times. Closes the door. What on earth is that? Go in the water and dip. Knock, knock, knock. I thought, hear what he's saying. The scripture says, I thought you were going to come and lay hands on me and we we're going to have this great demonstration of healing but yet you tell me to go dip in the dirtiest water around. That's what he told them. You could have at least told me to go dip in some clean water. You know, and Elijah tells them, 
maybe so many words. Hey, listen, if you want to get healed, you better just go dip in the River Jordan seven times. That's all I can tell you. I can't do anything more for you. It took a wise servant girl to come up to her and said to, to her, her master, and she was taking a chance, talking to him the way she did. She says, you know, sir, master, you know, master, if he'd have told you to do some great conquest, you'd have gone and done it. Wouldn't even thought twice. But he's just telling you to simply go dip it in the dirty water. What do you got to lose? He goes and dips and gets what happens. He gets healed. Why are we naming sometime? Because our life is going along and it's not working out the way you and I thought it was going to work out when you started on the desire conquest. You have envisioned in your mind of how you have it pictured of how it's all going to work out and who and you're walking, you're getting all excited because you're looking at that picture and as you start walking and, and your life is not matching up with the picture. And so what happens is you start questioning God, you start questioning yourself, you start questioning your capacity to hear. When, when all, it, all it was is, is there was something to, there to try to get you off of hope. And in order to eliminate the anxiety and the impatience and the worry and every other death-dealing thought that causes us many times to sabotage our desires, we have to restore the hope that gives us the capacity to walk in faith. All right, we are not going to go down the rest of this because it will probably take us another half hour, 45 minutes to do this, but we're not. Okay, let's just get to the maintaining and the restoring of hope in times of disappointment. That's what this is about. Freedom from hope. We're trying to close, we're trying, we're going to close that gap. Okay? We're going to do that real quick in the next five minutes. All right. First of all, you have to talk to God. In the midst of everything you're doing, you've got to talk to God. Communi verbally communicate all that is going on. You can even register your complaint with him. Register complaint if need be. You need to refrain from backbiting God. Don't backbite God. In other words, don't go around and tell everybody else your complaint and don't talk to him about it. That's backbiting God, right? So don't backbite God, okay? Maintain your capacity to hear. You've got to hear through every course of your life. You've got to be able to hear God through everything, through all the noise, all the distraction. You've got to be able to hear God. That's why the Bible tells us that he that hath an ear, let him hear what he's saying, you know. Jesus, many times, if you have a heart, if you have an ear to hear, listen or hear it. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard our heart because out of it flows the issues of life. The way that it flows out of our life is by virtue of the, as we talked about earlier. James 3 tells us to bridle our tongue. Bridle your tongue. Refrain from saying the things that emotions want you to say. Romans 4.21. <clears throat> In the midst of, the, of that exhortation of, about Abraham, it says that Abraham, against hope, believed in hope. What on earth does that mean? Against hope, he believed in hope. In other words, naturally, he was dealing in a hopeless situation. He was going to have a kid when he, his body could no longer produce a kid or Sarah's womb could no longer produce a kid. So he believed in hope. In hope what? That he was going to have a child. Now, you talk about somebody who had to reignite himself with hope along the way, it's Abraham. I mean, you know, he took a left turn, didn't he? With the Ishmael, he took a left turn. He took a left turn. But God didn't abandon him. He didn't let, let him. He said, forget, you're on your own now. I'll go pick somebody else. No. He, God, 
Come on, folks. God never puts you out there alone. Even the worst sinner that you can think of upon the face of the earth is not left alone. Because if he was, the devil gobbled him up in a minute, in a second, in a millisecond. Don't be afraid to have expectations. With the right of possession comes the right of expectation. I have a car that was bought from it was bought from a dealer, and I was told it would run. Every time I get in that car and turn the key, I have an expectation that that thing's gonna the engine's gonna turn over. When I drop that thing and drive and hit the gas, it's gonna go. I expect that every time I go in. Now, one time I'll go in it and I've gone in it and passed. It didn't do that. I didn't get mad at Ford. I didn't get mad at the car. I didn't say all hope is lost. I got to give up. You know what I tell myself when things like that happen? I said, it was made by man. It can be fixed by man. It can be fixed. It was made by God, and it can be fixed by God. Right? All right? So we translate that into a spiritual thing. Yeah. Come on. It was made by God. It can be fixed by God. You see, a lot of people, you know, what we seek is what we find. That's basic scripture, right? Expectations define our measure of reception. If you never expect anything, why would you expect to receive anything? Right? You didn't expect it. Why would you receive it? Why would you get disappointed, right? And that's how some people live. I don't ever want to expect anything because I don't ever want to experience disappointment. Seriously? Wow. God didn't promise us a disappointment-free life. He He did design ways of walking above it and through it. Refuse to forge a relationship with disappointment. A lot of people forge relationships with their disappointments. They hold hands with it, and they walk down the beach with it. And they talk about it all the time. They talk about all the things they were disappointed in. And guess what? The more, I mean, you empower your disappointment by partnering with it. Because you're focused on it. And don't romanticize, Christians are famous for this, don't romanticize something that's not true. Don't sit around and tell everybody everything's all right when everything isn't all right. Be honest and vulnerable, but don't brag about it, but be vulnerable so that you can pinpoint, so Holy Spirit can begin to pinpoint what the deal is. If you romanticize it, then nobody knows. Everybody's thinking, well, she or he told me everything's fine. You're not making a negative confession when you say that I'm really having a rough day. I'm having a hard time holding on to the little hope that I have. And you know what I would say to somebody that would tell me that? My first response would be, How can I help you? How can I help you? I mean, I want to help you. I don't want to see you like that. I want to see you full of hope. I want to see you of good cheer. We're all going to get out of this alive. The boat might be lost, but we're all going to get out of this alive. Last thing, oh, I'm sorry, last part of this is transparency and honesty are the hinges to the door to breakthrough. Hot dog. That door, has, that door to breakthrough has to have hinges to swing on. Otherwise, that door ain't going to open. Honesty and transparency 
are the hinges for breakthrough doors. Come on. All right? Last thing, we're going to close. Refuse to be offended or resentful towards God and people. Paul says this. I'll just read it. I mean. Acts 24, 16. One of my my many life scriptures. I got a lot of them. Some people think you only have to have one. I have a lot of them. I, I probably got two or three dozen of them. Or even more. Why can't I find the book of Acts? All right. And herein do I exercise my conscience towards God. Herein do I always exercise my conscience to be void of offense before God and before men. What Paul was saying is, I stand in here before you with a clear conscience before God and before you men that I'm not offended. I'm not offended. I've brought no offense to the kingdom, and I bring no offense to you. I'm void of offense before God and before men. I exercise my conscience to always be. He wants to be clear. He wants to have a clear conscience, okay, so that he can stay in hope. He could stay in that. You know that. That's why Paul never took anything personally. I mean, you. I tell you what, he had a resume, folks. He didn't rattle that off to be boastful or proud. He just wanted to let people know that he had a resume that he could speak the way he's speaking and he could tell them the truth because he experienced it, man. He experienced it. Just the thought of floating around in the ocean or in the sea for two days. After watching Jaws, no thank you. Okay, so we want to we want to overcome disappointment and realize, or we want to have freedom in disappointing situations, and we realize that it's connected closely, or connected directly, to maintaining hope and keeping our mouth talking life as we're journeying in this walk that we have with God, that as we open our heart to the very desires that we have in Him, the ones that we've breathed in and the ones that He's breathed into our life, and we have expectation in Him. And and I, I believe that this room is filled with people who have hope and have expectation in Him. And, and, and if we have those very things, those very core elements of what I was talking about today, there's, that is the way to maintain freedom and not to give disappointment the upper hand and, and, and be the life that we live on. Stand with me today. Let's do a, an activation before. Who am I tuning in over to close? You? Okay. All right. So this activation comes out of Isaiah 61. I really sensed this as I was going over this. So as we're standing here and just calling on Holy Spirit, just ask Holy Spirit to come. Just ask him to come. Holy Spirit, come. Just come, Holy Spirit, in this moment. We, Lord, have an expectation that, Lord, we're not asking you to literally enter into the room because you're here already. But when we're saying, Holy Spirit, come, we're, we're encouraging ourselves to heighten our awareness of Holy Spirit being ever-present with us at this moment. So when we say, Holy Spirit, come, we're saying, Holy Spirit, I'm aware of you 
right now and I'm aware of, Lord, what I need to gain from what I've just heard today, what I've just experienced here today in this gathering with this people here, Father. And Lord, there are things that, Lord, I've heard that you have really leaped off the pages to me, Father. The things, there are some things that I heard that, that really, Father, got deep within my heart, Father. The word that, that has a way of being like the surgeon's scalpel and getting deep and deep and really down to the to the meat of the situation, Father. And so, Holy Spirit, you're here to do this for me today as it regards, Lord, to the hope that has been deferred in my life. And, there's, and God has showed me that there are either there is people or there are people that need to break off lies, a lie or lies, that has created hopelessness. There is deep-seated lies that has destroyed dreams, relationships, and totally, in some people's, maybe in this room, totally eliminated the expectation out of your life. And you've, you've lived with the philosophy, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And that is not God's plan for success for our life. To have that philosophy that guides our life. But Holy Spirit, you're coming to deal with lies. If, if, it's, if it's, Lord, you've shaken us into reality that I just got to be honest and truthful with myself. I got to stop romanticizing that things are okay. And that if things aren't okay, then how can they become okay? And I need to hear from you and how to do that. And so, Father, in this moment, Lord, Father, show us any lie or lies that I've, I've, I've listened to. If it's a theology that I've held on to because it was the only theology that I knew and something that was said today kind of just really challenge that way of thinking, that, Father, I'm open to hearing a different way of thinking. I'm repenting right now. I am, Lord, open to changing the way I think. Isaiah 61, Father. And just as you're thinking about that, I'm going to turn to Isaiah 61, and I'm just going to read it. Because this is what Holy Spirit wants to do for us today. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Father, the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. And you have anointed us, Father. You have anointed us for your will and for your purpose. And Lord, you've anointed us for your will and your purpose to, Lord, to reach others as, Lord, Father, an arm of hopefulness in, Lord, a hopeless, wreaked society, Father. And you have put, Lord, Father, confident words, bold words of hope, Lord, to speak into people's lives. But, Father, some of us, are just so empty and feel inadequate to do that because of that emptiness and because of some of the hopelessness that we feel. And so, Lord, you've come to bind our broken heart. You've, become, you've come to proclaim liberty to us who have been held captive by, Lord, the bondage of disappointment. And you are opening the prison doors to them that have been bound and have been secluded and have been held from the glimmer of hope that we have forgotten because hopelessness has come in and taken over. You've come to open those doors up, set us free. Today is the acceptable day of the Lord. 
the acceptable day of the Lord to do this. For you have appointed this time for those that mourn. You have appointed this time to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that we might and we are called the strong, tall trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that through us and what comes out of our lives, you might be glorified. Father, we receive that today. Jesus, I pray that this for many is the day. It is, can be a day that is marked June 29th, 2019 at 607 that something took place that put me on a journey out of hopelessness into a journey of a life filled with hope, joy, and gladness. Amen. Praise the Lord. Bless you all. Have a great night.